Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today's show, I would like to thank ARS Pharmaceuticals for their very kind support of FACT's Roundtable podcast. Managing food allergies can be tricky, but it can be even trickier as an adult. Today, we're exploring how adults with food allergies navigate their work life, including accommodations, with FACT's General Counsel and Vice President of Civil Rights Advocacy, Amelia Smith and FACS Vice President of Programs, Linda Menigan, who is also an adult who lives with food allergies. Welcome, Amelia and Linda. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you two again back on FACS Roundtable podcast. I'm especially excited about this conversation because adult food allergies to me feels like it's growing. That pediatric population, you know, that my son was a part of when he was two, they've now grown up. My son's in his 20s now, and he's working, and he's in college, and we know the statistics tell us one in 10 adults have food allergies. So I think this is a really, really important conversation, and I'm just so delighted you both are here with us today. Thanks for having us. So glad to be back. Excellent. Well, we're just going to dive right in. We're not going to waste any time here. So we know adults managing food allergies in the workplace has legal implications and often legal accommodations are needed. So we're just going to go right into this conversation. So I'm going to turn to you, Linda, as an adult with food allergies, can you describe how you actually navigate the work setting? Like what are the touch points that you're most concerned about? We want to talk about eating in a common space, for example, the break room, traveling, workspace safety, and certainly bullying and jokes about my food allergies. It certainly happens. So when planning meetings, certainly you want to plan ahead. You want to find out who is responsible for placing orders um, or planning which restaurant you're going to go to when traveling So I certainly recommend that you call ahead. Same with travel. You want to find out who is making the arrangements. And you could also request that your airline be booked on an airline that has a food allergy policy and safe. You certainly want to travel safely. Something else to think about that when we are hiring new individuals, we go through orientation So that's a great opportunity to talk about food allergies, food allergy policies in your corporation, and what food allergies look like in your building and what accommodations can be made for you. Workplace safety. For me, I keep a sponge and dish soap in my office to clean the bowls and silverware when I'm finished eating my lunch. So I know that I'm the only one using it. There are microwaves in our buildings, so you could post a note on the microwave with your allergies 
or you can ask HR or your company to get you a dedicated microwave or refrigerator. And then lastly, I think bullying at the workplace. I mean, it happens. For example, I was at a professional lunch and there was a guy sitting across the table and he said, I'm going to order everything that Linda is allergic to just so I can stab her with Epi. And this person thought that they were being funny. However, it gave me an opportunity to educate them about living with life-threatening food allergies and what does that mean. And he really wasn't being funny once I explained it to him. So the next day, I got flowers from him at work that said, thank you for teaching me about food allergies. I looked up FACT's website and I really learned a lot. I love that. Not that you were bullied, but I love though that you, and and maybe it's because you're an adult now, right? Because I'm so used to working with my, you know, children who are in their, what, 24 and 19. But I love how you had that confidence to just stop and talk about it. Because I think sometimes when we're in the workplace, we fear retaliation or awkwardness, or we don't want to change the conversation. That's amazing. Thanks. It was an opportunity and I took advantage of it. There's the key. That is absolutely wonderful. And and actually on that note, you just said about, you know, a teachable moment. So when you do start like at a new job, do you have suggestions? Like, what do you do? You're starting at the new job and you mentioned, you know, orientation. That's a great time to talk about your allergies. But what about your coworkers? Like, how do you slide that into the conversation or is it just more direct? So any opportunity. So if it's a new employee, you can certainly bring that up during orientation. And since I'm one of the managers that is part of orientation, I talk about my food allergies and how my company keeps me safe. And then I ask in the room, is there anybody else with food allergies or any other health issues or concerns that we need to be aware of if there are accommodations that need to be requested? So Amelia, from your legal perspective, when is it appropriate to disclose your food allergy? Do you do it during the application process, during the interview? Do you wait till after you're hired? You know, when is the best time or is there a legal time that they're supposed to disclose this if they're even supposed to disclose this? So when we're talking about workplace accommodations in general, meaning covering the entire United States, all 50 states, um, we are talking about Title I of the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Amendment Act of 2008. And so the ADA in Title I applies to all aspects of employment, including job advertisements, applications, interviews, and then your actual orientation and you know, your period of employment. So you can request an accommodation at any time during the application process or while you're employed. You don't have to ask when you're applying, a lot of people are concerned that, you know, disclosing these informations and disclosing that they need accommodations or might need accommodations could negatively impact their hiring process or their ability to get the job. Of course, you know, that would be illegal, but we do know that there are cases out there where companies use a pretext, some other reason to not hire a person due to their protected disability. So you may want to wait until you're hired. The appropriate time to request an accommodation is once you realize that you're going to need it. So it may be you've been working there for three weeks and you find out that you have this coworker that heats up fish in the microwave every day and it you, know, you have a fin fish allergy. 
you know, you may see things, okay, this is, I need an accommodation for this. And that's the appropriate time to reach out. Once you realize you need it, you should say something. And with that reaching out, does it need to be in writing? I know when you and I talk a lot about 504 accommodations for kids, you really emphasize put everything in writing. Does that still hold in adulthood? Under Title I of the ADA, there is no prescribed format for requesting an accommodation. It can be simply, you know, if take a person who needs to use a wheelchair. If they mention to their supervisor that their wheelchair does not fit under the desk, per Title I of the ADA, that should be deemed a request for accommodation. You are notifying your employer that you need a modification to your work environment. But as we always say when we talk about K-12 accommodations, for your purposes to document your request, following up with a verbal conversation and writing something to create a document trail is still always advisable. Thank you, Amelia. That was extremely helpful. All right, Linda, what are the top three must-address areas in the workplace that people with food allergies need to understand regarding how to manage their allergies? You already gave us a couple examples, but if we can go a little deeper, like talk about break rooms and travel and meetings and anything else that you can think of there. Yeah, absolutely. My number one is staff awareness to my allergy my environment, I want to keep it safe. So I educate my staff, my coworkers, uh, those that I work closely with about my allergies. I let them know uh, what I'm allergic to, how to keep me safe. And I also, most importantly, let them know where I keep my epinephrine in case of an emergency and who is going to be that person to advocate for me if I'm unable to. So that's, I would say, the number one. With break rooms, I mean, everybody uses that space. So by educating them and letting them know of my allergy, they'll be conscious and aware of what they put in the microwave. Like Amelia just said, the fish. I walked into the break room, someone was heating up fish. I immediately had to turn around and walk away. This allows you the opportunity to educate your coworkers on keeping a safe place for you and to enjoy your lunch. I have a private office. So for example, I have my own microwave and my own refrigerator. So I have a dedicated space. I share it with some other people that are very familiar with my allergies and they don't put anything in my microwave or in my refrigerator that has my allergen. I even put a accommodation uh, sign on my refrigerator and my microwave that says food allergy to shellfish and tree nuts. Please be respectful of my allergy. So that's important to know. So lastly, travel. When you're making accommodations for traveling, you want to make a connection with the person who is the travel agent for your professional partners or your corporate travel agents. You want to request that you fly on an airline that does have a policy in place. And then I have my allergies noted on my corporate travel biography. So I'm always 
educating people about my allergies, where we're staying. I check out restaurants that we may go to and I make accommodation requests saying, Hey, I've been to this restaurant. I know they're great with food allergies. Could you please add this restaurant to the agenda? And then I call ahead and make sure that they can cook for me safely so that I can enjoy the business trip. These are fantastic tips. Again, it's so different when you're a caregiver taking care of a child, but then as that child becomes an adult and as adults start experiencing onset food allergies, these kind of tips really, I think, make the difference between a nice and easy workplace environment where you can focus on work versus you've got all these challenges. So now, Amelia, based on what Linda just shared, what legal rights do people with food allergies have as adults in the workplace? You touched on this a little bit already, but if we can just go a little deeper. Okay, so under Title I of the ADA, there are three areas in which reasonable accommodations may be needed, according to the Act. There are adjustments to the job application process, so a qualified applicant with a disability can be considered for a position. You know, you would think of this maybe in a food service setting where you're in the kitchen doing things. Even if during the interview process, it involves having a meal with the prospective employee-employer. You may need accommodations there. The second area is modifications to the physical work environment or the way a job is usually performed so that the individual with a disability can perform the essential functions of that position. And then the third would be changes that enable an employee with a disability to enjoy equal benefits and privileges of employment, like those that are enjoyed by all the other employees of the company without disabilities. This may include access, like Linda said, to cafeterias, lounges, break areas, auditoriums, and company-provided transportation. It is important to note that there are limitations to these rights. It's important to note that Title I of the ADA only applies to covered entities, and covered entities includes private employers with 15 or more employees, state and local government employers, employment agencies, labor organizations, and joint labor and management committees. So, if you work for a private employer with less than 15 employees, you are not covered by the ADA, but you may be covered by state laws. A lot of states have laws that protect and extend the coverage of ADA beyond what the basic ADA protections are. Unfortunately, some states like Mississippi don't. So it's really important if you're in this kind of gray area where the ADA doesn't apply to know what your local state statutes provide for. Aside from the covered entity limitations of the ADA, there is a further limitation on what is permissible for accommodation, and that is that under Title I of the ADA, employers are only required to provide reasonable accommodations. So this differs from the, you know, the standard that we see in, say, K-12 accommodations. And reasonable accommodations require that the change or modification may not cause undue hardship to the employer. Undue hardship, including accommodations that are overly extensive or disruptive or which could impact the actual running of a business. You know, if you have a shellfish allergy and you want to be a cook, you cannot insist that a shellfish restaurant or a restaurant that thrives on serving seafood and boiling seafood Quit serving seafood. You can't do that. That would be totally unreasonable, and it's not permissible under the ADA. While there could be other areas of the kitchen that you might be able to work in, 
depending on the severity of your allergies where you're not standing over the steam, boiling shellfish or whatnot. So you know, there there are room to wiggle even in that situation, possibly. But you know, there are limitations on what you can ask for in employment. This is incredible information. I just really appreciate it. And I know our listeners do too. So continuing on this, then how do people with food allergies establish those legal accommodations? Is there paperwork they're supposed to complete? Like who should they contact, especially if they're working for maybe a company that's less than 15 people or over 15 people? So what would you suggest be the process of when a person realizes I need accommodations? Of course, under Title I of the ADA, you do not have to use special medical terminology or explain your disability or condition. You can use plain English when you make the request. You do not even have to reference the ADA, but you should specify that the request is related to a disability and that you can ask a third party to request the accommodation on your behalf, whether it's a medical professional, vocational counselor, job coach, anything of that sort. Typically, you would make this request of HR but you can make it to your immediate supervisor. As discussed earlier, you know, a simple comment that my wheelchair doesn't fit underneath the desk or I'm having problems with the fish steam in the break room. These are deemed requests for accommodations under the ADA. If your company does not have an HR professional or you're not exactly sure of who to make the request to, say something to your immediate supervisor then your immediate supervisor can forward it up the chain or put you in contact with who you need to make your request to. Once you make the request, then the employers are allowed to verify your accommodations, verify your disability, verify your need by requesting medical documentation and other documentation at that point. But to simply make the request, all you have to do is make it. All you have to do is say, hey, I need this because I have a disability. I'm having problems in the break room because I have food allergies and you know, food allergies are or can be considered a disability under the ADA. And it's as easy as that. I like that. Just don't make a, I don't want to say don't make a big deal of it, but make it matter of fact, make it very normal. Like I just need this accommodation. Love working here. I just need this accommodation so we can all be successful. I really like that approach. As much as time as we spend and has spent at this point on K-12, through it is refreshing to talk about a process that is less complicated than what we typically deal with with schools. You know, workplaces should be very accustomed to making accommodations at this point in time, not necessarily for food allergies, but for other disabilities. And thankfully, in the employment setting, food allergies seem to be handled a lot better than they do in schools in most cases. I would agree with you, Amelia. It's a, it was a very simple request. Someone was cooking fish in the microwave. I asked the HR representative and she says, sure, absolutely. And within a week, I had my own dedicated microwave. Well, it's a different environment too. Like they've hired you because you have talent and skill and they really want you there. And it does cost money to go through that hiring process. So I would think they'd be inspired to really work well with you because again, they like you. That's why they want you there. 
Well, believe it or not, we're actually coming to the end of our time together. And again, I appreciate both of you so much, very selfishly, because I have young adults in my life now. And I know listeners are very interested in this. But Linda, before we wrap up, what tips do you have for fellow adults with food allergies? What are your words of wisdom to end with us? I would say always be an advocate for yourself and others. You want to be helpful. Your safety and health are most important. Don't take any chances. Definitely always speak up when you're in a situation. There will always be an opportunity to educate someone on how to live a safe life while living with life-threatening food allergies. Beautiful words of wisdom. All right, Amelia, let's turn to you now from your perspective. Well, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to do what I always do when we wrap up and plug back and all of the resources that we have out there for you. Of course, Linda has created a wonderful adults with food allergies section. She does that. She is our adults with food allergies guru. Um, So, of course, you can reach out to her if you have any specific disability accommodation related questions that you may need to brainstorm other ideas or actually look at kind of what the ADA says or, you know, file any EOC complaint, things of that nature. I'm here for you. Feel free to reach out to me. That's what we do in the Civil Rights Advocacy Division. And I I have enjoyed today so much, ladies. Thank you. I'm so biased, but I agree. Okay, I know we're coming to the end of our podcast, but I just have to ask one more question of Linda. Can you review with our listeners the Adults with Food Allergy Hub in the Education Center on the FAC website? Yeah, that's great. So you can go to foodallergyawareness.org slash education slash adults with food allergies. There's an education section in there, adults living with food allergies. You can find things like high school to workplace, shopping and cooking and eating, socializing with friends, dating and relationships, living in shared spaces, food allergies in the workplace, which is what we just kind of talked about, and events within the workplace. There's a lot of education resources in the adults with food allergies section. Thank you for sharing. Adding to that, one of my most favorite sections in this hub is the food allergies in the workplace tab. And the reason I like this is it gives the teal tactics. First, I love that word teal. I know, I love it. I know it's really fun, but I love the list of tips on how to keep that conversation going, but very casual and very easy because as a caregiver, I'm so focused on that. But I have a lot of friends now who've developed food allergies as adults. And then again, my children are becoming young adults. And I just think this, these lists, because there's several lists in here are just phenomenal. And so I highly recommend these for anyone who works with or engages with any adult with food allergies, because this list really just gave me such a good perspective on how to approach this. I just love these materials, but obviously I'm just super biased. So let's just get that out. And they're easy to download and share. Everything is free and downloadable. So you can share with anybody. 
Even perfect. So there we go. Great Wade and our podcast with some amazing resources. Again, thank you to ladies for your time and especially your knowledge and of course your passion for just moving the dial forward, not only with our kids, but with our fellow adults with food allergies. So thank you so much, ladies. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for having us. Before we say goodbye today, I just want to take a moment to pause and say thank you to ARS Pharmaceuticals for their kind sponsorship of Facts Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.